Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Now we're going to explore what it's like for us as believers to live as one. But first we need to talk about this word called independence. And if you're an American, that word independence just kind of goes with 4th of July. It, it just is such a powerful part of our culture. Independence is one of our core values in the American experience. In our American culture. We are taught from a very early, early age to be self-sufficient. We're told to fend for ourselves as a sign of strength and maturity. And those who can't do it and can't go it alone, well, you're viewed as weak or you're less than capable than those who can. Hmm, interesting. We value independence in America. But many times the word independence can be confused as a mandate for individualism. Or self-centeredness above almost everything else. Now there was a fisherman who was out of fellowship with the Lord. And he and his buddies had gone out and they were doing some really serious fishing. And while they're out there in the middle of this storm, I mean out of nowhere the storm comes. And in the middle of the storm the other guys are yelling at him saying, Joe, you got to pray. We're going to die out here. He goes, man, I haven't talked to God in 15 years. I haven't been to church in 15 years. we got to figure it out. I can't pray. They keep doing whatever they can, and, and are, they are going to die. And they said, you've got to pray. He says, okay, I'll pray. And he says, oh, Lord, I haven't asked anything from you for over 15 years. And if you help me now and you bring us to safety, I promise I won't ask for anything for another 15 years. I mean, we kind of laugh and chuckle at that, don't we? I think it's safe to say that this guy clearly doesn't get it. He has that idea of independence and individuality. He doesn't understand we were never created to live life like that. It may feel counterintuitive, but the truth is we are created and called to live in community, to live in relationship with God and with others. Let me say it again, only this time, let me make it a little bit more personal. You were created to live in community, to be in relationship with God and be in relationship with others. In the book of Genesis, God speaks about creating man. And then shortly after, we, we find him saying this in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And it says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Man meaning Adam. I will make a helper who is just right for him. 
Maybe because Adam is lonely? No, not really. Maybe because he, he wants him to have a buddy? No. Because God designed him to live in community, designed him to be in relationship. So the two of them could do life together with meaning, with purpose, and not alone. The problem comes when people begin to push against doing life with others. Maybe they've been hurt. Maybe they've been wounded. And it's just easier to isolate than it is to be in relationship and community. And when that happens, it's not because we're really anti-community, but because sometimes we just don't really understand community the way God designed it. Sometimes it's because we've been trained so hard to do life as an individual and to do life from a very self-centered place, we can't comprehend community anymore. And sometimes we push against, we struggle with the idea of relationships because we're unaware of what we truly are missing because we've never had authentic biblical fellowship and community. And as a result, many of us are just far too focused on the new trinity. Me, myself, and I. But this kind of individualism is just robbing us of the joy, of peace, of strength, and the hope that we all desperately need. And the only way to break the habit of doing life this way, doing it alone, the only way is to experience a life we were truly meant to live. Isn't that that little queen and baby? I just love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm a grandpa twice. You keep going, Penelope. I love it. The only way to experience life that we were truly meant to live is to learn how to live in community is to learn how to live in relationship with God and in relationship with others. It's not instinctive. We got to learn this. And that's what this series is all about. In this series, we're going to explore what it looks like to live in biblical, authentic community, not just as a bunch of group of individuals in one place. We're going to learn what it looks like to live as one. Amen? Amen? Well, this is far more important than most of us realize. It's not just a cute idea. It's actually a biblical mandate. We are each wonderfully and uniquely created to be a part of the community of God and when you're in the community of God, He uses that unique kind of community to literally go out and reach the world that is lost. It becomes attractive. It's a magnet. People want that. Why? Because instinctively on the inside, they know they were called and destined and designed 
to have that kind of life. I know it's good stuff, huh? Now listen, we're going to explore this kind of transformation. But it's going to take us being willing to do life a little bit differently than maybe we've done it in the past. And for, of us, for some of us to be more confident about it than we've been in the past. We're saying, Lord, create in us a kingdom culture different than the world we're in. Because we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're of the kingdom. I want you to listen to this. What you think literally determines what you will believe. And what you believe will determine how you will behave. And how you behave determines what you are. Okay? If I think about fishing, and I believe in fishing, and I love fishing, I believe this now, so now I go and do fishing. What have I now become? A fisherman. If I believe that I am the scum of the earth, I will believe that. I will act like that. And I will be to everybody else that and even to myself. But what if God has said, you are a masterpiece. And I, I don't push against that. I don't discredit that. I embrace it not with arrogance, not with pride. But I embrace his statement, you are a masterpiece. And I finally get to the place because I've repented. I, I have given my life to him, body, soul, and spirit. And so now that I think it, I now believe because of the cross, I'm a masterpiece. And because of that, I begin to act out, to behave as a child of the king, as a masterpiece of the kingdom, of the king. And so now, what does other people see? What do I see when I look into the mirror? I see a masterpiece. Not for arrogance, not for selfishness, but because of kingdom understanding. So what am I? What are you? And how does this impact my life? The short answer is, you're a masterpiece. And how does that impact my life? How does it impact your life? That you are a masterpiece. When you live like a masterpiece, it transforms the world around you. You're a masterpiece. Time to think that. Time to believe that. It's time to act on that. When I say negative things about myself that are not true according to the kingdom, according to the word of God, I insult and offend the king. When I say I'm stupid, 
When I say I am ugly, when I say I'm not worthy, when I say I am always these horrible things, I am literally affronting the Word of God and who He says that I am. I cannot place a low value on me or on you. He put the highest thing he owned, his son, and would have done it just for one, not just for all of mankind. He would have done it just for Adam. He would have done it just for Eve. He would have done it just for you. So let's go to the Bible. Let's see what does the Bible say about you. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, will you read it out loud with me? Ready, begin. For we are God's masterpiece. Stop right there. Stop right there. We're going to read that again. Ready, begin. For we are God's masterpiece. I'm not preaching heresy here, folks. The B-I-B-L-E, it just told us you and I and them and the ones we don't like. Anybody here got somebody you don't like? Don't be, be honest. I'm telling you, both hands should be going up. By the way, they lift up their hands about you too. But God says, we're a masterpiece. In spite of all those things that are just weird about us, that are off about us, that are broken inside of us. He still says, you're a masterpiece. And I would die on the cross for you. Living like a masterpiece means we, number one, live up to our purpose. Did you know you had a purpose? You are a masterpiece created on purpose for a purpose. This means you have a job to do because you are God's masterpiece. I'm not Marvin's masterpiece. You're not your own masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece. Created for good works, which he prepared in advance for you and I to do. Then it's time to get to work. Get the job done. Get the task done. And one of the greatest ways you can honor God, one of the greatest ways you can live up to your purpose is to do the job you were created to do. This is really important. You may be a masterpiece, but if you aren't living out your purpose, if you're not doing the job you were created to do, then you're not living up to your high value that has been placed on you. You're missing your potential. A vintage show car is not used to haul trash to the landfill. It's a show car. A custom handcrafted guitar is a masterpiece. And you don't tell your seven-year-old child, go ahead and bang on this and figure out how to play it. It's a masterpiece. It's a custom one of a kind. 
And if you had an original Mona Lisa, you wouldn't use it to cover the hole in the garage for the critters to not go in and out of. And you wouldn't use it as the lining of the birdcage. It's a Mona Lisa. That's why God calls us a masterpiece. Because your value is high. And you have a very unique purpose. And since you're a masterpiece, and since you have high value, you need to live up to your high purpose. You need to be used for what you were created to be used for. And many of you are. But are you doing it with the understanding that I'm a masterpiece because of the blood, because of the king? That's why the New Testament spends so much time talking about things the followers of Jesus aren't to do. Now, most of us hear the, you know, go back to Exodus chapter 20, and we, we find these 10 big things that say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, right? Don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, don't do tobacco, and don't date someone who, who does, you know, that kind of thing. Guys, we miss why God says not to do something. And I, I think we don't understand it. When my kids were all little, I would not let them go play out on the Main Street Boulevard or on the highway or on the freeway. Not because I didn't want them to play and have fun, but because it wasn't good for them. It wasn't safe for them. And what we sometimes are missing is the understanding behind why God says don't do something. God knows we're masterpieces. He made us. And he doesn't want us to be devaluing ourselves and our calling because of our actions. That bad be behavior betrays the reality that you're a masterpiece. I don't use a vintage show card to go to the dump. I don't use a Mona Lisa as the bottom of the birdcage to collect waste. And I don't do certain things because you and I are a masterpiece. You catch that? It would betray who God has said that you are. So what is your job? What were you created for? Did you know you were created to represent Jesus? That life is not about you? How many have ever read that book, The Purpose Driven Life, written by Rick Warren? I love what he says. The very first sentence of the book, he opened it up in the very first chapter, the very first sentence, he goes, the purpose of life. You're going, okay, here it comes. And you open the book, you get to the first chapter and the first sentence, and it says, it's not about you. Really? I spent $24.99 to find out this whole thing's not about you? Correct. The best, you didn't have to read the rest of the book. You were done. It's true. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about them. It's about him. It's about me representing him. 
It's about me reflecting him. So did you know that? And how are you representing Jesus today? Not in church. Oh, that's a safe place. Did you know that you speak in church a language that most likely you don't speak anywhere else? Do you ever go into Walmart and tell everybody, how you doing, brother? How are you doing, sister? Most likely not. Right? This means we're to represent Jesus Christ. So the questions are, and these are kind of tough ones on us. How do you treat other people? How do you have conversations? Who do you talk about? How do you manage your time? How do you love and care for others? Especially those ones that aren't always so lovable. Guy, Pastor, you just went a place you shouldn't have gone. Been there. Never think that what you're doing doesn't really matter. Isn't that interesting how we can get like that? We can easily begin to think like, you know, what I'm doing for the body of Christ, this small little thing, it really doesn't matter. And you know what? That's a lie. It matters. Let me ask you this. Anybody heard of a name, Billy Graham? Can you imagine if the Sunday school didn't exist and the Sunday school teacher that reached Billy for Jesus never happened? How many souls would have never been realized for the kingdom because a Sunday school teacher, some guy, some man, went into a Sunday school class to minister to a little boy named Billy. And it changed the world. Don't tell me what you're doing doesn't matter because you don't know the future and neither do I, except I know he's coming. And I think he's coming sooner than later. And let's hope so. Your job is to represent Jesus and represent Jesus back to a world that does not know the high value that the Heavenly Father places on them. So ask yourself, how are you representing Jesus to others? It shouldn't look like me, and I shouldn't look like you. It shouldn't look like them, and it shouldn't look like those. It should look like how God created you to advance the kingdom and how he uniquely designed you to reflect and represent Jesus. And here's a second way you can act like a masterpiece. And that is to truly recognize, this is a hard one, the value of others. Because we know some of those others. Some of those others are great and we love them. But then there's some of those others, if you know what I mean. And it's like, are they coming to Thanksgiving? I think I've got COVID. I don't think I'm going to make it. You know, you know what I mean? Those others. And God's saying, if I made you a masterpiece, then I made them a masterpiece too. 
Remember, a diamond doesn't look like the final product. It starts off as some ugly looking coal. But then after all that pressure and all that has to work through and all, the, all that has to go in there until finally it's time to cut the diamond. And then finally comes the gem. So just like you and I were created in God's image, so are other people. Now stop and think about this for just a moment. For many, it's, it's easy to embrace the idea that God created us as a masterpiece. I like that idea. It feels better because I knew how I looked at myself. But for many, it's not so easy to see others. We just think of them as children of darkness. And if you don't bring the light, the sad thing is you might be right. You may be the only Jesus they will ever see on this planet. That's one of the reasons why in the New Testament, it not only is full of things that we should avoid and stay away from and don't do, but it's also full of things that tell us what we need to do, how to do it, when to do it for others. So not only not to do, but what to do. Paul understood this. This is why he spoke this when we look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. And it says, don't be selfish. Wow. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves. That's got to be a typo. No, it's not. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So, so let's look at this one part. Don't be selfish. This is saying stop jockeying for some kind of position. Stop being so demanding. H have you ever met that person? They're older. Oh, it's too hot. It's too cold. You, you know what I'm talking about? It's, it's too, too much sun. It's not this. And it's just always, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. It's not what you're saying. Catch this part. It's not what you're saying, Marvin. It's how you're saying it that's the problem. Did you catch that? Have you ever had a situation with one of your kids or, or, or one of your relatives or one of your friends and they had something you're like, going, yeah, that's a problem. We got to fix that. But it, but because of how they said it and where they said it and in front of who they said it. You're like, I'm not happy. I don't even know how to go forward with this. How do we treat people? Are we being selfish? Then back off. Back off. Everybody, is there anybody that you know who's super selfish and you love them? It's the joy of your life to see them throwing a fit and being selfish. Just love that four and five-year-old throwing a fit. Anybody? Then why is it okay to be selfish at any age? God, help us. Don't look out only for your own interests. Bring 
being self-centered on, on just myself is the status quo for most people, not only in the world, but primarily in America. It's, it's our American culture. But for those who follow Jesus, Paul is saying, no. No, Marvin, it's not okay to be about your self-interest. You have to be kingdom-minded. If you want there to be oneness in the body of Christ, you can't be self-interested. Instead, we must learn to value others above ourselves. That is what Jesus did. This is how Jesus lived and how he impacted humanity. And when we live like he did, we reflect Jesus back to the world. When I'm humble, when I'm selfless, when I'm centered on others, when I'm centered on the kingdom, I expand the kingdom. But when I'm self-centered, when it's about me, myself, and I, I am now in the flesh. I am now devaluing my high standing of being a masterpiece. And I, I literally betray what God has called me to be. Paul gives us another insight here in Philippians chapter 2. Now we're going to go to verses 5 through 7. We continue. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Wow. So if you were to rewrite this again and take the first word you off and put my personal name Marvin, or you could put your name in there, you, it would read your name, my name, Marvin must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he meaning Jesus. Though Jesus was God. So when you have people say, well, Jesus wasn't, the Bible doesn't say that, Jesus, that no, no, right here. Paul says it. So does Jesus. So does Peter. Clearly says his deity is the same status as God the Father. That is not to be debated. Though he, Christ, was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. In other words, yes, I am Jesus, the Son of God. Yes, I am God. And yes, my status is high. He just goes, no, I, yeah, I am that. But I'm, I, I, I'm okay. I have a bigger job to do. I have a bigger purpose to fulfill. Though he was God, he did not think of, of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, right hand of the Father, everything it was to be God. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being to go from the divine to human when he appeared in human form. Wow. The, the way that a masterpiece treats another masterpiece is by making yourself humble, a humble servant, just like Jesus did. And do you know the best way to do this? Let's go back to our purpose. Let's go back to the job we've been given. That is to reflect, that is to represent Jesus back to the world. So the questions come out, husband, how, 
how do you reflect Jesus back to your wife? Wife, how do you reflect Jesus back to your husband? Sibling to sibling, friend to friend, to your co-worker, to a stranger, to those online that you interact with. So if we're going to be one, if we're going to get the idea of community right, then we have to recognize that we're all a masterpiece. And we need to walk in that. So what's the big takeaway from today's message? Well, here's a quick three-step takeaway for you today. Number one, pray God will help you realize the truth that you are a masterpiece. Stop believing the lies from the father of lies that you're anything less than that. Well, my circumstances in my life, I, I don't have this, I don't have that, I've been divorced, I, I'm really sick, I, I have this wrong, I have that wrong, I, I, I don't have the money, I don't have this, I don't have the retirement. Oh, stop! Those things do not represent who God says you are. Everything I have here doesn't get to go to heaven. I get a new body. I get a new, check this out, mansion. <laughs> How cool is that? And everybody who believes in Jesus, my family, my friends, even people I don't even know, guess what? They get to be at the dining table. Hey, can you pass me that? I want the pepper. And bring me the big thing of salt. Pray that God will show you that you can see the truth, not the lies, that you're a masterpiece. Ask Him to help you to see that. Another one, number two, ask Him to help you to see that in others. Ask God to show you how you can serve those those other people who are masterpieces. Right now they may not look like it, but they are. You know, I, I'm reminded of a story real quick. It's a Hawaiian story, Polynesian story, and I forget the names. It's, but anyways, this, this prince comes over to this island, and uh, he comes across this, this gal, and everybody in the village were always mean to her. They were always rude to her. And they always called her name, they called her ugly, and, and just all these horrible things. For whatever reason, the prince looked her straight in the eye, and he saw something. And so because of the culture, he, he finds the father, and he comes, and he has this ceremony, and he says, I want to marry your daughter. Well, he has to bring a dowry. So he goes, he comes back. And typically, they would hope they could get at least one cow and not a couple goats. But he brought a cow. And he brought another one. And he brought another one. He brought in over 12 cows. The most anybody had ever seen was about six or seven cows. Everybody in the village were shocked. They couldn't understand. Why? For her. 
She's not a masterpiece. She's a train wreck. Well, they go and they live on his island, away from the village. And after the one-year honeymoon, they come back. And she is just this incredible, gorgeous princess. She no longer walks humped over, looking down at the ground 95% of the time. Her head, her chin is up. There's a glow on her face and her eyes, they twinkle. And her black hair is just beautifully straight and long, gorgeous. And she walked with a prestige about her. A sense of nobility and royalty. Because she listened to her master, to her husband. He spoke all the beauty, all the things that he saw in her, day in, day out. And eventually, she started to hear and to think those things. And she went from thinking those things to believing those things. From believing those things, she started acting on those things, to now she is those things that her husband, said so when she goes back to the island after the one year honeymoon nobody recognizes her until finally the mama says that's my daughter and everybody is stunned they kind of drop to their knees they throw this incredible feast and they all said how and the prince goes because i saw in her a masterpiece and I spoke it over her. What are you speaking over others? What are you speaking over yourself? And I'm convicted right now. I feel that. I sense that. How about you? Here's the last one of the three points. You want to know how to reflect, how to, how to represent Christ? Start serving. Just serve. Serve at the church. Serve in the neighborhood. Serve your family. Serve where you live. But serve. When you give, it's like Christmas. Got a bunch of old folks around here. You know what I mean. When is Christmas? Is Christmas better now that you get to give the presents to everybody? Or when you got the presents? It's way better now that you get to give the presents, isn't it? Would have never thought that when you were the kid getting them. Couldn't wait to get those presents. But now that you get to bring that glory, serve. Be the giver. And watch how God does something in you. If we're going to find unity and be one, then it's important to recognize ourselves and others as masterpieces of the king and his kingdom father god we love you and lord i pray i pray that each and every person here today would be able to see themselves the way you see them as a masterpiece that they would receive the words that you bestow upon them and that you bless them with. That they receive the promises of God concerning them. 
Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see that others are masterpieces as well. God, may we pray for them that they would soon be able to look in the mirror and see that they are a masterpiece because of the blood of Jesus. And may joy fill their heart. Oh, may they come to the cross. May they bow their knee and realize that they're not alone. That they're a part of a family. A family designed to be operating as one. Oh, Father, I just pray. I pray. Pour out your goodness. I curse the past that haunts people in this room right now. If you have prayed and repented of your past and you feel condemned because of your past, you feel restricted because of the past, Jesus died on the cross for my past, for your past. It can no longer dictate your future. It is betraying you. You have been called by the master himself, a masterpiece. Let it in. Let that truth in. May he set the captive free, who's captivated, who's in captivity because of the past. Set the captive free, Lord. Set him free. Set him free. Set him free. We pray your will. We pray your way. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.